Hebrews chapter 5, we're going to be reading verses 5, 11 through chapter 6 and verse 2. Hebrews 5, 11, all the way through chapter 6 and verse 2. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings, the laying out of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Excellent singing this morning, and I do want to thank you for being here. I know it's cold out, but um, hopefully it's warm enough in here for you. Uh, text will be Hebrews, where we just read from, where Pastor Will just read from. Uh, how, how many of you have gone to, within the last few years, a, a high school class reunion? Anyone here? Okay, a few. Any of you gone to one that was uh, 25 years or more? Okay, got a few. Okay, any of you any of you been here to a class reunion that was 50 years or more? I'm sure that would be interesting. I Just this uh, past spring, uh, May, would have been uh, 20, my 25th uh, class reunion from high school. Um, uh, we did not have one. I, I graduated from a class of, there was nine in my class, um, and so it's not a very good class. And uh, I don't think that... Um, we were very close anyway, so the uh, idea of a class reunion probably wouldn't happen. I'm still in contact with, I think, three of them. But uh, for the most part, I have no idea where most of my, the rest of my class is. I heard a story about a man who was preparing to go to his 40-year uh, high school reunion. For months and months, he had saved to take his wife back to the place and the people that he had left four decades before. He was excited, and the closer that he got to the time for the union, uh, the more excited he became, and he began looking forward to the wonderful stories he would hear about the changes and the accomplishments that his old friends had, had gone through. He wondered if any of them had encountered Jesus like he had, that had radically changed his life. He even tried to guess what maybe some of them looked like now, and if they had gray hair or no hair, or... Uh, if, how many children they had, or what kind of jobs they were doing. The day finally came, and his energy was almost contagious. He was excited about it. He went to the class reunion, and uh, he flew to it. It was several states away, and him and his wife went, and, and the class reunion came and went, and uh, he flew back, and, and one of his friends came to the airport to pick him up. He was excited to hear about how uh, this reunion, about how John's reunion went, and so he was looking forward to the stories and, and hearing what has happened, and, and, and the friend described what took place. He says, as I uh, watched for them to come out of the airport, I was excited to hear, but what I saw was something different. My friend seemed almost despondent. I didn't want to ask, but finally I said to him, how was the reunion? John responded, it was the saddest experience of my life. What happened? John said, it wasn't what happened, but what didn't happen. It's been 40 years. 40 years. And no one changed. They simply gained weight, changed their style of clothing, got jobs, had kids, but no one really changed. What I experienced was one of the most tragic things I could ever imagine about life. For reasons I can't fully understand, it seems as if some people chose to not change at all. Quietly walked back to the car. They got in the car and drove home. And the man describing the story said the drive home was just one of silence. 
Finally, John turned to him and said, I never, ever, ever want it to be said of me. Life is too short. It's too sacred. It's too important. If you ever see me get stagnant like that, I hope that you'll love me enough to challenge me to keep growing. This morning I'm here and this morning I'm preaching this message because I, I honestly I love you enough as a church that I want to challenge you to continue to grow. My question for you is, are you growing? Let's pray. God, I pray that you help us as we look at this text and as we talk not just about today, but as we talk about our vision for the church for this year, I pray that it will be your vision. And I pray that you work and guide. God, 2019 could be a year where we see change, change in ourselves. And Lord, I pray that you begin that work of that process even today. We ask this in Christ's name. Hebrews chapter 5 is the context of where we're at, and I want to just give you an idea what's going on. Starting back in Hebrews chapter 4, we're not going to read it, but in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, the author of Hebrews begins a discussion of Christ as our high priest. Um, He talks about the importance of Christ being our high priest and what that means for us as a believer. He's going into this what, what many of us would call a theological discussion of, of Christ as a high priest and, and uh, at, through this process. And, and then all of a sudden, in the middle of this discussion of the high priest, suddenly he breaks off from that topic and begins to confront his listeners of, about a problem they had. And this problem was a problem of spiritual immaturity. See, because we should be constantly growing. Growth is a vital part of every person's life. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of the term arrested development. Okay, it's a term that, that simply is defined as abnormal state in which development has stopped prematurely. Now, usually it's seen in a, in a medical sense or uh, some other way, but it's 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 uh, idea of just someone growing, 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 and then stop. Growth has stopped for some abnormal reason. Growth is so important to us that arrested development is universally regarded as a tragedy, whether it's physical, mental, or emotional. Yet a big problem we have, I believe, in churches throughout our country is that spiritual, arrested spiritual development is a tragedy that few actually even see. Or are even concerned about doing anything about it. What I'm talking about is the idea of a spiritual walk that has plateaued and has not grown. As believers, we should be growing. We should be maturing. I want to look in this passage, and through this passage, I want to look at what are some marks of spiritual immaturity. How can you tell that you are not growing in your walk with God? What does that look like? Let's look at these. There's three of them. First one is spiritual immaturity is seen as a dullness towards the Word of God. Look at verse 11 of our text, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. The whole opening statement of this verse, uh, in effect, says this. I have, I have too much to say about this. I have a lot to say about this. And the writer of Hebrews, and many people believe it's Paul, but we don't know for sure, but the writer of Hebrews is saying, I got, I got a lot to talk about. Well, what is he referring to? He's referring to verse 10. Look what he says in verse 10. Being designated by God, talking about Jesus, a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, who's this Melchizedek guy? For lack of time and really uh, the desire to even discuss this today, I'm not going to get into too much detail, but Melchizedek is mentioned in Genesis, and he was uh, viewed as a priest, and and what we see here in Hebrews is this theological discussion that the writer of Hebrews is having that Jesus was after the order of Melchizedek. In other words, he was uh, after the pattern of Melchizedek. And, and so here, the writer of Hebrews is saying, I got a lot, in verse 11, I got a lot to tell you about that. In fact, we know he does, but if, because if you look down in chapter 7 of Hebrews, he gets back into the topic of Melchizedek. Okay? So the idea is not Melchizedek, but what he's saying is this. He's saying, I got a lot to say about Melchizedek, Melchizedek, but I'm going to stop for a moment. And I want to address something. 
And he says, look what he says in that verse, it's hard to explain. Now, he is not saying that it is inherently difficult to understand the concept of Jesus being the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. That is not what he's saying. Because the word since is in there. What he is saying is this. It is that the, the people he is addressing had a sin problem that was preventing them from understanding. It was not that it was, they were incapable. It was that they were not trying. In the last portion of this verse, he tells us what their problem is. He says there, you have become dull of hearing. That's not a phrase that we say very often. Okay? I don't, in the midst of a discussion with my kids, go, you're dull of hearing. They'd look at me and say, okay, Dad, I don't know what that means. What does that mean? That word dull in the, in, in the uh, Greek is only used twice in all the New Testament. It's a word that's actually derived from two different words. The two words are no and push. In other words, uh, if we were to apply this, usually we would, we would think of this uh, from the perspective of a speaker, the one that's talking, myself. You would say this. You would say, uh, uh, this, this person is a dull speaker. In other words, they have no push. Okay, there's, there's nothing in their speaking that causes them to, to motivate me to do anything. Okay, I... When I was back in Bible college, there was a one professor I had, and I won't say his name just in case any of you know him. Uh, I, I actually liked him as a professor. He was a really good guy, intelligent man, but he was a monotone speaker. And he would sit there and he'd read his notes, and it was like, and I think somewhere along the way, someone said to him, hey, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of a monotone speaker. And so he would every once in a while, like, change the inflection of his voice just enough that it was almost weird, you know, he'd be talking along and be like, well, Melchizedek is the high priest, and he's a really good high priest, and it was just kind of, we sit there and we go, oh man, and, but he was a really brilliant man, okay, I, I liked uh, listening to him, but I, I can imagine that he probably was the type of speaker at times you'd say he has no push, okay, there's nothing there, the ability to keep my attention, but here it's not used of the speaker, it's used of the listener. And it says here uh, that he was dull in hearing. Seldom do we accuse the audience of being dull of hearing. Seldom is it that the speaker gets up and says, you know what, I'm doing the best I can as a preacher, but you guys are the problem. You're dull of hearing. That is what the writer of Hebrews is saying to them. They were dull of hearing. One translation puts it a little bit more straightforward. They say this, uh, that you are, you're not going to get what we're talking about because you have picked up the bad habit of not listening. The NIV says it this way, you are no longer trying to understand. Basically, what the writer here of Hebrews is saying is, is you have become sluggish and apathetic in your listening. In fact, it even goes a step further because if you look at the language that's used in the, in the Greek, uh, it suggests a settled or comfortable state of dullness. It suggests the idea that the, the hearer had come to the point where they just kind of were like, I am not really paying attention to this, and I'm good with that. Uh, we have at our house a collection of um, Charlie Brown episodes. They're a, it's a holiday collection, you know, the, the Halloween, the, the, you know, the great pumpkin or whatever it's called, and then Thanksgiving and then Christmas, and, and oftentimes at those seasons we'll watch those. One of the things I always remember from Charlie, Charlie Brown, how many uh, remember this, is that uh, whenever an adult would speak, what did it sound like? Wah, 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 right? And the idea here of this dull of speaking is that, is that you're sitting there, you're listening, and all you're hearing is wah, 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 wah. I mean, I might as well be up here just kind of saying that, because you're not, you're not engaging. And that's what the, the writer of Hebrews was saying was the problem. He says, you're not growing, and he'll get, I'll get into that in a minute, because you'll become dull of hearing. You have stopped caring about listening. It's not that they couldn't get this idea of Melchizedek because they were dumb. They couldn't get the idea of Melchizedek because they had become numb to listen. They become numb to the hearing of God's Word. 
So how does that happen? How do we become dull of hearing? Well, three things I want to look at in just the next few moments. First of all, we neglect the hearing of the Word of God. How do we know that we've gotten to this point in our life? How do we know that you, at times, neglect the hearing of the Word of God? Let me ask you this question. And, and yes, I might be stepping on toes today. And I'm actually okay with that. What excuses do you make to miss out on the preaching or teaching of the Word of God? What excuses do you find acceptable of why you don't come to church? Oh, man. I've heard some great ones. Uh, you know, it's it's amazing to me. I uh, I I understand if I understand that they're you know it's cold today. I get that you guys are here, so you're you're the wrong ones to be saying this to. But I've had at times people say, and I, I'm not talking about our elderly. I believe at times are the best if they're not out in this weather. I'm, but I've had people you know my age or younger saying, oh, it's too cold. They're the same ones that'll go to a football game that, when it's freezing cold. So what excuses are you making why you don't attend? Turn to your Bibles if you're in Hebrews. Look over at Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. The classic passage that I have heard used, uh, referred to by pastors all my life as why we should be faithful in attendance to church is Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25. Hebrews 10, 25 says this, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Why does God tell the people, hey, I want to encourage you. uh, Here's instruction to not forsake the assembling. Because when the hearing of God gets too uncomfortable, some deal with it by not coming, by tuning it out. See, what, what we have, the problem here is oftentimes is we become to the point where, where we treat church, and we've talked about this in my Sunday school class, we treat church the, uh, sorry, got my foot on something. Uh, we treat church the same way that we treat anything else that we, that we are a part of, like a consumer. And, and if I go to a, a, a place and I feel uncomfortable by the service that I'm given, I, I'm, you know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to go back. If I go to a restaurant and the, and the waiter or the waitress is, does a poor job or d- doesn't make me feel like accepted, then I'm not going back there. That's not church. There's an author who wrote a book called uh, Divine Conspiracy, and he commented on one of the greatest dangers in, in Christianity is because we've come this attitude of consumer Christianity where uh, we treat church like we do any other thing. And he said this, Christians will treat uh, things as if the church, as if they are a customer and they can come and go as they please. They can pick and choose. They are the customers, so they are always right. They think that once they make the cut, they'll be saved and they're safe. The thought if they don't like what they're seeing, it's okay to take a break and not come back. So because of it, I think that they can take the Word of God lightly and treat the grace of God cheaply what happens is we begin to neglect the hearing of the Word of God. And as we do that, we become dull of hearing. But secondly, we take the Word of God for granted. I remember a conversation that I heard, I don't remember who it was or where it was, but it was a conversation between two people. One person lived in the heart of a big city and the other person lived in the country. And the person from the country asked the person from the city, how can you stand all the noise? The person from their city responded, I've become so accustomed to the city noise that I don't even notice it anymore. In fact, when it's gone, then I notice the problem. I think what's happened is is that sometimes we, we hear the Word, and then we hear the Word, and then we hear the Word, and we hear it until it becomes so commonplace that it's meaningless to us. Unfortunately, this has happened, I think, way too many times to believe. And when that happens to you, you become dull of hearing, and you don't grow. 
Puritan writer by the name of Richard Baxter said this, Make it your work with diligence to apply the word. He's talking about when you're in a church service like this. Make it your work with diligence to apply the word as you are hearing it. Cast it not upon all, excuse me, cast it all not upon the minister as those who will go further than they were carried by force. You have to work as well as the preacher and should be all the time while you are listening as busy as he. You must open your ears and your heart and digest the food that is coming in for no one can digest it for you. Therefore, all the while, be at work and abhor the idle hearts in hearing. Engage and listen. I encourage you to be engaged in listening. As you hear the Word of God preached, uh, keep your Bibles open. Follow along when we turn to passages. Take notes. Ask God. This was just talked about in my Sunday school class. Some, uh, someone said in the Sunday school class that I think so, so often we don't prepare our hearts. And so we come here in the service and we're, we're just like, eh, I'm here. Okay, I'll sing. I like the, hopefully Pastor Pete tells some really cool, interesting stories that keeps me into it. Otherwise, I'm not going to stay engaged. We need to be asking God, how, how do you want me to apply these truths of Scripture to my life? Because otherwise, you're going to take it for granted, and you're going to become dull of hearing. Thirdly, how do we become dull of hearing when we fail to obey the Word of God? If you want to move forward again as a Christian in your life, begin with the truths you already know but have not obeyed. Are there truths in your life? Is there something that God is asking you to stop? Or is there something God is asking you to do and you just, you, you're just ignoring it? Maybe there's an attitude God has been putting on your heart that you need to change. Or maybe you need to forgive someone. Or, or maybe you need to reach out to someone and, and share the gospel. Or maybe there's something and, and you're, you're not doing it. You've stagnated on that. You know what? Here's the reality. is You need to understand that God might not give you further light further instruction until you obey what He's already given you. You need to obey. Spiritual immaturity is seen by a dullness of hearing. But secondly, spiritual immaturity is seen by the inability to share the Word of God. Notice verse 12. So, so the writer of Hebrews says, hey, you don't, you're not going to be able to understand any of this I'm saying because you become dull of hearing. But look what he says in verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. Comparing here now to the idea of growth physically. Imagine, if you will, if there was a young man, a a young boy, a young girl who was uh, first grade and was satisfied to be in first grade. Continued through the years of elementary school without learning anything above the first grade level, we would say there's a problem. Yet, how many Christians are satisfied to remain forever as they began? Content with nothing more than the introductory truths. The readers here are reminded, as you read through Hebrews, you're reminded that you should be capable by this point. By this point in their Christian life, they should be capable of explaining the Christian faith to others. They should be. When he says here in verse 12, he says, By this point you ought to be teachers. Now, he is not saying that every Christian can or even should be te- assume the position of teacher-preacher. That's not what he's saying. But what he is saying is that as you have grown in your faith, if you have grown of you, some of you have been saved for many years, some of you have just been saved for a little time, but some of you have been saved for many years, and as you grow, you should be at the point in your life where you be able to share with others about uh, your walk with God and about what it means to be a Christian. You should be capable of being involved in the disciple-making process. You should be growing in it. In Matthew chapter 28, when Jesus is giving his final command to his disciples, what does he tell them? He says, I want you to go into all the world and do what? Make disciples. That command was not just given to the disciples. That command was given to the church as a whole. That we are about the process of making disciples. Over the last few months, I've been trying to, uh, to 
get a better understanding where we're at as a church. And so I put out some surveys with deacons and, and leaders, and, and I've talked to some people informally, and I've asked people questions like, what are some areas where maybe we're struggling as a church? And one of the areas that I kept coming back to that people kept saying is, is as a church, we're, we're, we're not doing a good job disciple-making. And I really want to say this, shame on us. Disciple-making is not the job of the people who stand in this pulpit. Disciple-making is the job of all of us. And here, that's the rebuke that the writer of Hebrews is giving the people. He says, by this point in your life, in your Christian life, you should be mature enough to be leading others in their walk with God. But you're stuck. You're stuck. Because you haven't grown. And you have, you've been stuck in this point of immaturity. And someone needs to teach you. The reality is that instead of being capable of sharing what they believe with others, they need to be taught themselves again and again. Verse 12 gives us the idea that if you are not going forward in your understanding of Christ, the alternate is you're falling back. There's simply no such thing as remaining where you are spiritually. We're either moving forward or we're falling back. We're either winning or we're losing. One of the symptoms of a spiritual aggression is the dullness of the things of God. Sunday school class is, is boring. The preaching is, is boring. Church is boring. The problem is not usually the Sunday school teacher. I've sat under some boring teachers before, so I understand that maybe that could be the case. I don't believe that's the case here. I think we have some excellent teachers. The problem is not that the, the preacher is boring. I'll let you make judgments on that. You know the problems with fear. Another mark of spiritual maturity is the inability to share the word. And then finally, the final mark is, of spiritual immaturity is seen in an insufficient diet. Look what he says at the end of verse 12. You need milk, not solid food. Now that's not a positive. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. There comes a time in the life of every infant when they grow beyond the milk stage and they develop a taste for solid food. Okay, we've, we've had a few babies born in our church within the last year and I, I love watching as babies grow and mature and you know, it starts off that they're, they're, all of their food comes from mom and then as time goes on, uh, they start wanting to dabble with a few other things. Just last Sunday we went out to lunch with the Masons and watching Lydia over there trying to put food in her mouth and, uh, and, uh, and, and growing in that process. That's normal. If this doesn't happen, should should it happen that uh, or not happen that there's there's that desire for that that uh, that harder food that that deeper food? There's a great concern to go on living on milk. Mere baby food is an indication of arrested development. The same is true in the spiritual realm. You should be desiring deeper truths of Scripture. There's a comparable situation that's mentioned in, in Corinthians and uh, with the church in Corinth uh, by Paul. He says there, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food. Now, this is not a positive thing. Why? Because he says, For you are not ready for it. And even now you're not yet ready. Maturing believers should be moving on in their lives past the basics and diving into the deep, deep truths of God's Word. Yet the tragic mistake can be this. We can say, yes, I'm ready to move on to the deeper truths of Scripture, but we view it as, hey, I'm ready to take on those solid foods, but I'm doing it just for the accumulation of knowledge. 
Yes, we need to know God's Word. But right knowledge should lead to right living. The more that I study the Bible, the more I get into the deep truths of the Bible, the more I see myself as needing to change. The writer here says in verse 14 that those who uh, by, by reason have used the, the, the Word of God to help them grow, look what it says, uh, they've, they've used their power of discernment, they've trained by constant practice, as they, as they have knowledge, as they're consuming the solid food, as they're taking in these deep truths of Scripture, then they, they're able to understand what is right and wrong, and by practice they distir- distinguish good from evil. Spiritual maturity of these believers will be demonstrated by how? By a changed life. As they as they dive into the Word and they get greater truths from Scripture, then they take those truths and, and, and they learn what's right and wrong and they, they grow. And, and through that, now suddenly they, we see a changed life. Now, it's, it's rather unfortunate that there is a div, uh, chapter division that occurs here because uh, the thought of the writer does not end at the end of verse uh, uh, 14. So that's why I had Pastor Will read the beginning of chapter 6 because it continues on. Read what it says with me in chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, the writer is saying, because of what I just told you, all of these things, therefore... Let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. What he's saying there is this. Okay. You got stuck. You're dull of hearing. You're not, you're not diving into the Word. You're, not, you're stuck. You're not sharing with others because you're stuck in the... the elementary principles of the word. He says, now, now if, you're, if you're ready to move on, he says, then, then this, you're going to grow. And here our command is to grow to maturity. A couple words I want to point out in verse 1. He says there, uh, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. Now, I want to caution you that leave doesn't mean leaving it behind. Okay? It's like a foundation of a house. A builder builds a house and he starts with the foundation and, and as he builds this foundation and then he, he moves on, doesn't he? Now, it doesn't mean that he, he forgets about the foundation. No, he piles it on top of the foundation. He builds upon the foundation. And that's the idea here uh, that we're supposed to be doing is, is we're continuously working uh, to, to improve. But if we were to stay on the foundation, that would be ridiculous. So what he's saying is not leave as in, in other words, ignore the, the doctrines of Christ. He's saying, no, no, add to that. And go on to maturity. That word, that phrase, go on, implies an action that moves on to a greater knowledge and a greater relationship with Jesus Christ. This initial foundation is based upon repentance and faith. It's your salvation. Your salvation is permanent. There needs to be built upon that. So how do we do that? How do we go on to maturity? How do we go on from where we're at to maturity? I want to just take a couple steps back uh, to answer that question. Okay, today is Vision Sunday. Pastor Nate mentioned that a couple times. What does that mean? Today is the day where we look at, for this year, we look at what does God have for us as a church in 2019? And ask ourselves, what is it God wants to do? Well, I want to go back a little bit. In 2014, we solidified as a church uh, what was our vision by stating four main purposes. You see these signs up here. We put them up for a reason. They're usually over in the corner there. We want you to see them up here. What are the four main purposes of the church? The first one is worship God. God desires for us to worship Him, and we are to do that with everything we do. It's not just the singing. It's not just uh, being here. It's every aspect of this of, of your walk with God should be to worship Him. That is that is the aspect of you personally. That is what we should be doing as a church. Secondly, we are to grow together. Uh, we are to, as we've been talking about through this 
message, we are to be growing as a church, but specifically, and I'm going to talk about this more, specifically we're going to be doing it together. As we grow, one of the desires of what we're going to do is to be serving. And, and we're not going to just be content with letting us, everyone serve us. When you grow in maturity, that was even what he says there in Hebrews chapter uh, 5 and verse 12. You should be teachers. You should be moving on from where others serve you. And then as we serve, we realize we come across people who don't yet know Jesus Christ. And so our desire is to reach the world. This is not just a list. I've talked about this numerous times. This is a process. We begin by sharing the gospel with the lost world. The gospel is represented through the the red drop of blood, Jesus Christ's blood. We begin by sharing that with the world around us. Last year we tried to address the mandate God has given us to go into all the world. When this happens, when we share with people, people come to an understanding of their need in Christ and and our, our, our prayer is that they become a child of God. Then what? So a person comes, you go out and you share with your neighbor or a friend or, or a, a, a family member, hey, the need for Jesus Christ. And they come and they say, yes, I want to accept. What happens next? Well, the next process is they realize that in order to grow, they need to be part of the worship process. They need to be worshiping with us as a church. They, they need to be doing that. But it, it's not just enough to worship. They can't stay where they're at. They're encouraged to then begin to grow. And they grow, and as they grow and grow in the relationship with God, they realize, you know what, I can't just be uh, about me. I've got to be serving. And so they want to serve. And, and, and then as they serve, they realize there is a whole world out there of people who are lost and need Jesus Christ. And so they begin to reach the lost. This is a discipleship process. My challenge to you is this, is you are to be going through this process. But... As we have the call by God to disciple others, we are to also be helping others through this process. Helping people grow. This year, though, I want to focus on, we're going to focus on this one. Grow together. How do we do that? I'm talking to people here. Some of you have been saved just a short period of time. And others, you've been saved for 75 years or more. Every one of us needs to grow cannot be comfortable with where we're at. And I want to talk about what I don't mean when I say grow. I'm not talking about a, a goal to numerically grow as a church. You say, well, that sounds foolish for a pastor to say. Now, I believe that a natural byproduct of personal growth is that our church will grow in numbers. And, and I believe that the opposite is true. That a church that is stagnant and doesn't grow is not going to grow in numbers. So what I'm talking about is not a numerical growth. I'm not even talking about growth as an individual inside a bubble. What I am talking about is a growth as an individual that comes as we come together as a church. Our theme verse, verses, two of them this year, will be Colossians 1, 9, and 10. We'll be going through the book of Colossians and, and uh, as, as a church on Sunday morning, starting in probably a couple months. But uh, Colossians 1, I challenge you to memorize this verse. I'm, these verses I'm trying. I'm working on them myself. And if I tried to quote them right now, I probably would mess it up, so I'm not going to. But, but look what it says there. And so, from the day we heard. This is Paul. Uh, talking to the church at Colossae, he says, We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will. What is he talking about there? The knowledge of His will is what, what Paul is saying is this, is I want you to have an understanding of what God wants you to do. How? In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. This is what we talked about a few moments ago, that God, God wants us to have a greater knowledge of who He is. Why? Look what it says in the next verse, verse 10 so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. What does that look like? Fully pleasing to God, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul's prayer for the church at Colossae is the same prayer that I have for this church, which is growth. First of all, growth in the knowledge of God, which should lead to spiritual maturity. So how does that happen? 
Well, first of all, I want to just take a few moments and talk about how did growth happen in the early church? See, because our pattern for what a church looks like is what the Bible tells us. And so how did it happen? Well, look at this passage in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. This is early on in the church's history, and, and this is in Jerusalem, the first church. And uh, what does it say about them? It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. I want you to notice something about these things. First of all, I want you to notice that these involve a full participation from the church. I'm going to look through those for a moment. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. You know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say the pastor preached a good message. You notice who the, the, the onus is on in that, in that phrase? It's on you. It's on you. Now, I have a responsibility by God. That's a whole different topic. But I have a responsibility to God to study the Word and to share what God has for me to share. But here it is saying they devoted themselves. It was the congregation that said, you know what? We are going to listen to what the Word of God has to say. We're going we're gonna to hear it, but not just like let it go in the ear and out the ear. We're going to like really dive into what Scripture has to say for us because we want to know. But then he says, next thing is, is fellowship. I've talked about this before, but if you haven't heard I'm going to say it again. Okay, this fellowship is not what we usually think of as a Baptist. This is not a dinner fellowship. In fact, most likely when he says fellowship here, there was absolutely zero food involved. What he's talking about here is this. And this is, this is where I, I believe that a lot of 2019 American Christians struggle. Because what he's talking about is this, is us interacting as a congregation and talking about and diving into and studying the Word of God together. I believe this is a, hey, uh, here's what I read in my Bible this week and I want to tell you about it. I think sometimes that scares us. That's how they grew, grew as a church. Notice what it says next, the breaking of bread. Again, this is not about the consumption of food. This is talking about the Lord's Supper. This is talking about a regular reminder together of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Then the final one is prayers. Just like all the other ones here are, are talking about doing this together, so is prayer. I know there are times I've had people say, or I've heard people say, hey, uh, you know, prayer is a private matter between me and God. Yeah, that's true. There's also plenty of indication in Scripture where prayer is something that should be done as a church together. Praying. One of the greatest things that you can do is sit and listen to another, another saint pray. It's a wonderful thing. But notice all of these things that the church was doing in Jerusalem were fully functioning together. And you know what came out of that? Growth. The individuals grew. The church grew. We see later in this passage in Acts where it says that they added thousands of people to their church. Their church was growing like wildfire. And as I studied the topic of growth throughout the New Testament, you know what I noticed? Growth is almost always associated with the church. Specifically, growth that comes from interaction as a community of believers. In 2015, the last time that we uh, made growth our, our, our theme for the year, uh, we went through a study, and some of you may remember this, we went through a study of the one and other passages of Scripture. In Scripture, there is a number of passages that talk about how we're to interact as a church one with another. And in and, and every situation that we see the one and other passages, those passages speak of how you're to interact with believers, uh, and, and that all happens within the church. We talked about in our Sunday school class this morning, can you, can you do all this outside of the church? Yes, but I don't believe that's what God designed. I believe God designed the church to be your avenue, your method of growth. Now, am I, am I saying that you cannot grow outside the ministry of the church? I am not saying that. 
But I do not think that, but what I do think is this, I think you're limiting your growth potential as a believer if you're not fully engaged in the ministry of the local church. Fully believe that. You're limiting your potential to grow. It is with that in mind that I want you to just know in the last few moments, we're almost done, I want, to, I want you to know some of the things that we're working on this year as a church. Our theme for this year is greater growth in groups. What we want to focus on is, is growing as a church, individually but as a church, and we want to do that. In order to do that, we want to continue to improve and develop our growing together opportunities. Now, two of our greatest growing together opportunities are our Sunday school program and our growth groups. As we've already talked about, we, we're setting a course for our adult Sunday school program using a series of growth seminars geared towards the purpose of greater understanding of who God is and a greater understanding of what the church is supposed to be doing a study of uh, the New Testament books to see what the church was like as we go through the New Testament. And then one of our other studies is doing a study of what the church is. And it's important for us to go through that and see. And as we grow, and, and my goal is a greater participation from this church as a whole to Sunday school. If you have not attended Sunday school before or it's been a long time, I, I want to challenge you to come. It's an hour of your time that will challenge you. I want to challenge you to be a part of it. It will help you grow as you study the Word of God. It will also help you grow as you interact with fellow believers. I know there are excuses. Let's be honest. We can make excuses why we don't come to Sunday school, but most of those are just exactly that. They're excuses. They're not valid reasons to miss out with the interaction with fellow believers in the study of the Word. The second area that we're going to highlight and, and work on to even reformat in some ways is our growth groups. I think growth groups are one of the best opportunities to interact in Scripture with other believers from First Baptist Church. Acts chapter 5 and verse 42 gives us an idea of what they would do even in this way. It says, And every day in the temple and from house to house they did not cease preaching and teaching, teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. It was very commonplace in, in, the, uh, in the early church that they would do this. Now, most of their churches were set centered in homes anyway, but it wasn't just, hey, we're going to go to this one. It was, it was going around and visiting homes and interacting and interacting with each other and studying the Word of God together. And there was a growth process, and I believe it's the best way to live out uh, one of the one and another passages we see in James where it says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. God tells us that we're to interact, and part of that is with confession and prayer. There's been many times, I know, in our growth group on Wednesday night where we're, uh, people are confessing, hey, we're struggling in this way. It's a great opportunity to grow. I want to challenge you. If you haven't, try to attend the growth group. I want to be careful here because I know that maybe you might think I'm sounding legalistic and I'm not. Okay? By no means am I saying that if you don't come, you're out of God's will. But, I'm, but, but I think that if you have that mindset, then you're looking at it the wrong way. I think you're looking at it from the wrong perspective because... When we look at how God intended for the church to work, God intended for the church to work to be a community of believers, of individuals who come together. And, man, you might have diversity in in so many different ways, and this church does, but you come together and under the unity of who Jesus Christ is, you find commonality. In that commonality, we also see that we we all struggle with the same things, and so we grow together. And so I say all that to say this, that uh, if, if you are uh, thinking that it is not necessary to come together, I think you're missing out. I think you're missing on opportunities for growth. I want to circle all the way back to 
passage that we looked at as I close. Let me ask you this question. Have you become dull of hearing? Has your walk with God become sad? Have you come to the point where you should be have a greater involvement in teaching? And I don't mean teaching a Sunday school class. I mean with your life. You're still unmilked. If so, you need to confess that to God. Now, over the next few weeks, I am going to do a few messages on, okay, how do we then grow? How do we do it? And I hope that it will be a blessing to you as we start talking about that, not just as a church, but also as individuals. How do we grow? Because we cannot stay the same. Otherwise, we're not thinking about it. God, I just thank you for your word. Lord, my prayer and my desire is that, number one, first of all, for myself, God, I cannot be satisfied where I'm at. God, I want to grow in my relationship with you. I want to grow in my understanding of the word. Lord, I pray that you help me do that. Lord, for everyone in this auditorium that is a believer, I pray that you will help them to have the same desire. And I know, Lord, that means that for all of us, that if there's sin in our lives that we need to confess, that, that we need to do that. We need to make things right. We need to move on from that sin and move towards a relationship, greater relationship with Jesus Christ. Lord, and I pray that you'll help us have the courage to do that. Lord, if, we're, if we become stagnant, I pray that you will help us again to have a desire to get into your word. Lord, I know there's some, maybe have come become stagnant because they just, they just don't care anymore. Lord, I pray that you will convict their hearts. Help them to see that growth is, is not only possible, but it's essential. Lord, I pray to help us as a church and individuals in this church that this year will be a, a greater year of growth than we've seen in a long time. So thank you. Thank you.